children were asked if they could articulate for us what was in the Bible, and uh, what they came up with was quite different, at least from the Bible that I read. For instance, they said when God created the world, he got tired of creating it, so he took the Sabbath off. Then he made Adam and Eve from an apple tree. Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire at night. Moses led the Jews to the Red Sea where they made unleavened bread, which is bread without ingredients. Then, when the Egyptians were drowned in the desert, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and uh, received the Ten Commandments. The first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat that apple. And the seventh commandment is, thou shalt not admit adultery. <laughs> Soon after that, Moses died before he could get to Canada. <laughs> then Jesus was born of Mary, who had an immaculate contraption and soon after sang the Magna Carta. <laughs> Jesus' <is, laughs> one golden rule was to do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> the people that followed Jesus were the 12 apostles and the epistles were their wives. Finally, they wrote, the Christians are called to have only one spouse, and this is called monotony. <laughs> now, there's a lot about... <laughs> I think we should reinvent the Sunday school, don't you? I mean, whoa, man, we got work to do. There is a lot uh, of uh, ignorance about Scripture, not only among children, but among adults. And not only in the world, but in the church. But perhaps the greatest uh, problem with Scripture is not just that we don't know it, it's that we don't know how to use it. So if I could just state uh, from the very beginning uh, my assumption, and that is there is nothing in your life that you're doing that you couldn't do better if you had an even better grasp of the Bible. There is nothing that you're doing that you couldn't do better if you had an even better grasp of Scripture and it had a better grasp of you. The Scripture has the capacity to enlighten the eyes of our heart to give us what Paul called in Philippians, knowledge and depth of insight. So that the fruit of righteousness that comes from our lives is natural. It just flows without effort and without work. 
But in order to get there, we have to, some of us, assume a different relationship than the one we have with Scripture. I know some of you are very versed in the Bible. Some of you know all about the early manuscripts. Some of you can drop stories and verses at will. Even you, even you, there is nothing that you're doing that you couldn't do better if you had an even stronger grasp of Scripture. It would just flow out of you. There are lots of ways to read the Bible. Most of them fall into two categories. One of them is as a mirror, and the other one is as a light. These are different ways. As a mirror, we read it like we read it last week. We look into it in order to see a reflection of ourselves. Comes from James chapter one. He who reads the words of scripture is like a man that looks into a mirror, he says. And some of them walk away and forget what they look like. (laughs) And others walk away and they remember what they look like. And as they go to work on that, it says, the perfect law, as James says, it begins to shape their character. So the purpose of seeing it as a mirror is for self-awareness. It's for spiritual formation, ourselves. It's eating the book before you talk about it in public or to other people. Nobody cares what of the book you know. What they care is what you ate. The other way to read it is uh, as a light. And as a light, we don't look at it. No one turns a flashlight on and stares into the light. Rather, you aim it at something you're trying to see and cannot, and then you look alongside of it so that by the light, you see other things. You tracking? So the purpose here is not self-awareness. The purpose is situational awareness. We are trying to see what is happening in this world, trying to interpret what happened in the meeting last night or what should happen in the meeting I have tomorrow at 10 a.m., Now, I'm not so much turning it inward, trying to get better myself. I'm turning it outward, trying to understand what's happening in these times so that I can act appropriately. If we want to read it as a light, we have to turn to the prophets. There were several prophets in the Bible, you guys, and almost... None of them wrote as a mirror. They wrote as a light. The prophet's capacity was not so much that he or she could predict the future. Their greatest capacity is that they could understand the times they were living in. 
prophets were men and women with extraordinary ability to understand their times. They could sit in meetings and attend religious festivals and they walked away with a wisdom and an ability to understand that was untimely. And it's because their perspective and their commitments were not from this age. They lived in our streets. They shopped at Myers. <clears throat> but they were not from around here. They were not from around here. They heard another voice. And then through that voice, they heard other things so they could interpret them. Jeremiah, let me stop for a second. There isn't anything that you're doing this week that you couldn't do better if you knew how to do that. Am I right? If you knew how to step into a situation and read not what everybody else read, but actually discern what was happening under the surface, you could track the invisible currents. You would come away from that encounter with an uncanny ability to understand. You would start saying things that people around you would go, and then they would think, well, maybe. Jeremiah was this kind of a prophet. The words of Jeremiah and the words of God are inextricably tied together. I think it's 155 times in the book alone. It says the words of the Lord through Jeremiah. In fact, of all places in the entire Bible that say, thus says the Lord, almost two-thirds of them occur in the book of Jeremiah alone. There was a feeling that when this guy spoke, it had a gravitas and it had penetrating insight into what was happening. He talked about the same events but he talked about them differently. Now, most of us, when we think about having this ability, like prophets, it scares us. Because first, we don't want to be that guy or that woman that goes and preaches all the time. But one more time, church, the power of a prophet was not his preaching. It was his insight. Anybody can preach. It's what he saw that other people did not see that made him such a powerful communicator. So what we often do is we look at Jeremiah chapter one in verse five or six, where the word says, the Lord came to Jeremiah and the Lord said, before you were born, I knew you, I formed you. Then I chose you. And finally, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And we step back and we go, see, he got like a special powers. He's got supernatural abilities. And I just don't have those. What if you're wrong? Most of the things that Jeremiah saw, he did not dream up. They were already happening. 
He saw virtually nothing out of thin blue air. It was already happening. He could look at the nations, he could look at the people, and he could discern things that were in front of everyone. But because he saw things differently, he could see them with the eyes of God. So in Jeremiah's day, the time he was called, King Josiah was on the throne. Uh, Shortly before Jeremiah was called, uh, King Josiah's servants went into the temple. They were refurbishing the temple. And somebody discovered an old book. When they found the old book, he couldn't read it. So he brought it out and gave it to one of the other servants. The servant started to read it and said, shoot, I recognize this. This is a book of the law. Is what? This is the book. <laughs> this is the word of God. Now, that's shocking, isn't it? They were having services without the word of God. <laughs> So they take that book in before the king Josiah and they start to read the book of the law in front of the king, probably the book of the covenant. And as they're reading it, the king stands up in the middle of the reading and he tears his clothes and he goes into a state of mourning and he says very clearly, what you're reading right now is not happening. We as a people have failed to do what the book of the law has told us to do. And this has got to stop. So we called a big old meeting in the public place. And on that day, the king stood by a pillar and he ordered the priests to read the book of the law word for word as in Nehemiah's day. And when the reading was done, he turned to the people and he said, and I want y'all to promise that you're gonna do this. And they all promised to do it, but he still wasn't done. He went out and he found all of the temple artifacts that were raised up for other gods and he started to pull them out of the temple. He found all of the priests that served other religions and if he did not kill them, he fired them. Then he went into the temple and he took down some of the statues or the objects of worship, took them outside the temple, burned them in the field, ground them to powder and then spread the powder over the graves of people that used to worship them. This was a thorough cleansing. So when Jeremiah was called, he was called into this kind of um, tea party, fervor, take back the nation for God. Restore all of the old festivals and do it the way that we used to do it by the book. So he would have grown up hearing the book of Deuteronomy, not only read, but expounded upon. With this difference, he believed it. All of it. He didn't explain it away. The smarter we get, the better we get at that. He read it at face value and he decided that's what we should do. And as he did, Jeremiah began to detect that even in Israel's religious fervor, there was an underlying current that was unsettling. And it went like this. Israel is a chosen nation. 
It is an exceptional nation, better than all other nations. Therefore, God has his hand on Israel. He will protect us. We might not do everything right. We might have our flaws. But God is going to use our country like he is using no other country because we are his favorite people. Jeremiah just saw things differently. He saw all of that stuff that I just said coming straight from the king's office. And rather than believing the propaganda of how great a nation they were, he spoke reality against the propaganda of the day. And then when people started to blame other people for the woes that the nation had, Jeremiah stood up and he spoke words of grieving and said, this is not someone else's fault. This is our fault. We have abandoned the covenant. We have been unfaithful to the Lord our God. We are like a, a vine that does not produce fruit. And therefore, the Lord cannot favor us any longer. There is nothing but trouble ahead. And when he finally got people to believe it, then he spoke words of hope. When everybody else was in despair, he said, I know the future is bleak. I know we're not the nation you thought we were. But God is not done with us. He'll call us back. You can see why they didn't like this guy. He didn't have many friends. I got thinking yesterday, we went to a funeral where about two, 300 people followed the casket, literally on foot, from the church over to the graveside. Because the person who died was so loved and, and, and just so favored by the people. And I couldn't help but wonder this morning, I wonder how many were in line follow Jeremiah. I bet they were sort of glad to get rid of him. But people, listen to me. If we are going to change our society and change our school systems and change our economic systems, change our families and even our churches, we are going to have to learn how to step into situations and see them fundamentally different. Maybe this isn't something you're just born with. Maybe it is something you can groom in people. Maybe it is a skill that can be developed over time. And maybe it is not particular to just one or two people. Maybe God has poured his spirit out on all of our sons and daughters so that our children will have the power to prophesy in Jesus' name. Maybe people who wouldn't dream of prophesying could learn to prophesy if they thought of it differently. How do they read the Bible? 
They don't read it as a book of instructions. They read it as a commentary on what is happening in the day. Prophets read the Bible as a totally different social imagination. Prophets have the ability to speak of secular things in spiritual language. Most of us can't do that. We can talk of spiritual things, faith, God, church, religion, Jesus, the Bible, and then tomorrow we will go to work and we will talk in secular language, not negative language, but it's a language that was designed for the area where we work. We will go to the schools and we will start using language that is educational. And then we'll go to business and we will start using language that is couching assumptions. That's like what business people understand. And then we go to the medical field and we will speak in scientific language. What we don't know how to do is to speak of secular things in spiritual language because it always feels like we're preaching. So when we think of the economy, for instance, the economy in our country seems to revolve around a few assumptions, around the idea that hard work should be honored, around the, around the idea that property is private and therefore it must be earned, around the idea that the one who has the most things is actually the richest. But when you open the scripture, you get an entirely different set of assumptions. Are you still there? But what happens is we quote the scripture and then go off to follow the other assumptions. Do the same thing with families. If you talk to people in our city today, they will say that the families in our city are in crisis for two reasons. One is drugs and the other is poverty and that these two things cycle around. They feed each other. But what if we're wrong? What if drugs and poverty are but symptoms of a deeper alienation that the scripture could shed light on? But as long as we leave religious language and get into the more social science language, we've got a perfect explanation. We just can't fix anything. The same thing is true with our sexuality. Sexuality and sexual confusion in the country right now, I got to come down, this getting personal, seems to revolve around a few assumptions. One of those assumptions is that sexuality is something that lies at the core of our identity. Another is that it is a purely private act between two consenting adults. A third is that what those adults do in private is simply between them and does not affect people around them. And the fourth is that if I do not act out of these assumptions, I am being inauthentic to who I am. But when we open the scripture, we find an entirely different set of assumptions. I heard two amens there. One was from Jeremiah, the other from Isaiah. So what ends up happening, people, is we end up believing the Bible, but being discipled by the culture.
If you read the Bible differently, you would see it as a reality. You would see it not as a foreign world. And you would not read it and try to say, how do I apply this to my life? That isn't the question. The question is, how does your life apply to what is happening in the Bible? It could be that the real normative story is the story of the Bible. We just live it out in a hundred different ways. So how would you read it if you read it like that? I have a few ways that have worked for me. You'll have more. Please write and tell me. No, I mean that. This one you can write to me, not Emily. <laughs> one is to read it as uh, this is that. So what will happen is you will find a story in the Bible or a personality in the Bible or an era. You'll find that time and you will try to match it to what is happening in front of you or you do it reverse. What you do is you say, what is happening in front of me right now? And then you back up and you say, do I know any story, any personality, or any time in the Bible that seems to line up with this time? Now, a couple weeks ago, I said to the second hour uh, that what happened in my home just a few months ago when we were pretty, well, not we, I was pretty stressed out. Just about to wit's end. That's Dutch for fried. Lori would say at the end of the day, are you all right? Uh, yeah, I'm fine. No, really, what's wrong? I'm fine, I'm fine. I said, it's a good thing they invented the word fine or men wouldn't know how to talk about their feelings. <laughs> then one night, I went to bed and there was a piece of paper laying on my pillow in the handwriting of a school teacher. <laughs> and it said, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of Peter. And when they got into the boat together, the wind died down. That'll preach after you eat it. There is not a more vivid description as what is happening inside of me in that moment. If you ask me what I need in that moment, I will say I need another day in the week. I need some of the pressure to back off. This is because I don't even know what I need. But when somebody outside of you has the ability to discern what is really happening and find the place in scripture where your life fits and they can apply that into your life, it is a powerful narrative. Another way that we do this is we read the scripture for the mind of Christ. What do I know of Christ? How does he think? What are his values? What flows out of him? And I can look at that meeting or at my classroom tomorrow, and I can say, based on what I'm dealing with, 
how does the mind of Christ speak into this situation? Uh, one last way that has worked for me, and this is when suddenly, and it's worked for you, I've talked to you guys, it's, it's suddenly a verse will jump off the page and just introduce itself to you. You're not even looking for it, but suddenly it's there. A few months ago, I was off on a speaking engagement and I had everything written. Everything I say is manuscript. You just can't tell it. I got up in the morning, 5 a.m., came downstairs, sat in the dark, and immediately started to feel restless, afraid, loss of courage. The first thought I had to myself was, um, uh, yeah, it must be my blood sugar's low. <laughs> when your blood sugar's low, you lose courage. All I got to do is eat a donut, and, and then we will be ready to review these notes. So I checked my blood sugar. It was 96. Right down the middle of the fairway. It was perfect. I thought to myself, shoot, now I can't eat a donut. <laughs> and I have no explanation for why I am afraid. Why am I afraid? I've done this 30 years. I went into the meditative state that we've been talking about the last few weeks. I closed my eyes. I began to inhale, hold, exhale. That didn't work. I began to recite scripture to myself in the dark. They came from everywhere. I was looking for scriptures that talked about courage. Be strong and courageous. And I thought, no, that ain't, I ain't Joshua, man. And all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, the verse appeared in my mind that said, now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light. Rather, he bore witness to the light because the light that lighteth every man was about to come into the world. My first thought was, where is that? That's in John chapter 1. Is it verse four or five? Wasn't sure. Look it up. Flicked on the light, opened the scripture. It was verse six and seven. I read it in slow motion. I closed the Bible. I flicked off the light, closed my eyes, and all of a sudden, I heard a voice say, now today, there is a man sent from God, and that's you. But remember, you are not the light. You bear witness to the light because the light that lighteth every person is about to come into the world. Remember, you are not the light. You bear witness to the light. Can you do that? Was it the word of God? Was for me. I couldn't wait to get started after that. When you're not the show, you're just a witness 
to the show, it takes a ton of pressure off you. So here's how the ancients did it, and then I'm going to walk you through it. First, when you get alone tomorrow morning, or I should say tomorrow night, you will do a few things. They all start with R's, so you can remember them. The first is you will review what has happened in your day. Now you're asking yourself, when I was in that meeting or this, con this company that we're dealing with right now, what is the situation? What is really happening? What are people saying? What are they believing? What assumptions are driving the actions of people in the room? What do we know for sure? Do not just vent. Venting is an egotist's way to avoid Self-reflection. Don't vent. What do you know for sure? Second, reflect. Where in the Bible do you see instances of the same thing happening? Stories, personalities, eras in history. And from what you know of those instances, how does that inform the situation? What is really happening? This week I, I see the... I see the Bowmans here. I, their mother passed away. And um, it never looks the way it does on television. And um, when you stand in that room and you start asking yourself these questions, what is really happening here? Is this person dying or is something else happening and I can't see it? The passage came to my mind. Jesus said, she is not dead, she is asleep. And they laughed at him. And then he said, little girl, get up. And immediately, she stood up and walked around. And I thought, that's what's happening. Third, repent. What does God want from you in this situation? What is God trying to do in you? Your tendency is to say, here's the word of the Lord, can't wait to unload it. But say nothing, sit on it until you know the work that God, what do you want from God? Forgiveness, courage, compassion, empathy. And finally, your response. From what I know now, 
What is God doing? Jesus said, the Father is always working and I am working too. So what are they working on in this situation? What do they have their hands on that I've been describing in other language for too long? And what kind of action, what kind of prayer, what disposition is required in me to cooperate with that? 